3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855am, and I'm here in the studio with Malika and Inez. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that crisp sound of all of us being in the studio. I love it. It definitely is weird not calling in from my closet with my dog this morning. Like It's been a while since I've been back in the studio, and I'm absolutely pumped. But sad that my dog's not here. I know. I mean, I think we should... Uh well, we should get Chippy in. Yeah, Chips needs to come in. I'm very worried he might bark at everyone. But yeah, fair. Maybe he won't. We'll see. We we'll can uh, we can bring uh, Chip in from Studio Two and turn the mic off if uh, if it gets too noisy. Genius, genius. Um, <laughs> so it is. Oh my gosh, what date is it? It is Thursday, the 10th of March, 7:03 uh, in the morning. Um, wow. Yes. The year, you know, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. So, um, it's, uh, how are you both doing this week? I'm doing okay. I just went away to a little holiday. Um, I was in the rainforest while it was raining and I stayed inside, which is what I do usually, but now I did it somewhere else. So that's a good time. It was like more scenic though, hey? Yes, a more scenic hermit time. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, my week has been pretty good, um. I really don't have much to report on. I started doing bouldering, everyone. Hey. Oh. I don't exercise, so um, my everything is sore. Yeah. But I had the best time, and I now understand why people exercise. Yeah. I understood that endorphin exercise thing. It, it's only taken me 28 years, but I finally understand it. Amazing. Well, I think, like, bouldering is also a very sort of exciting and dynamic thing to do. It doesn't feel like, you know, going to the gym. No. Yeah. It just feels like strategy, and I love that. Exactly. Look at you. You're going to be, like, climbing all over the studio. We'll have to set up a bouldering. No, the, do you boulder on a wall? Yeah, yeah. Boulder? Okay. I yeah. think we can set one up. There's someone Priya. up on the 3CR studio. <laughs> I know. Malika's the new your... Spider-Man. Oh, oh, Spider Monkey. I like that better. <laughs> um, how's your morning been, Priya? Uh, it's been pretty uh, uneventful, apart from the fact that I drove past a little hatchback that was full of onions. So shout out to whoever was driving that. It's amazing. <laughs> I commend you for being able to sit in a vehicle entirely full to the brim of onions. I could smell it when I was riding by, and yeah, it couldn't be me, but... Um, kudos to you. Anyway, we have a packed lineup for today, so we might jump into the rundown. I'll kick it off with um, an excerpt from a conversation with Dr. Mary Graham, who's a Kambu Mary and Waka Waka person from southeastern Queensland on collaborative governance and relational ethos. And this is introduced by Dr. Michelle Maloney, who's the co-founder and national convener of Australian Earth Laws Alliance. And this was from Earth Matters, which you can catch on Sundays on 3CR from 11 a.m. We were then we will then be joined by MC Dracoisha 
aka Stinky Girl from Rumination, speaking at 3CR's International Women's Day Street Party on Tuesday, March the 8th, an event actively pushing back against white liberal corporate feminism. Rumination's radio was a show produced and presented by people with a lived experience of homelessness that until recently was presented on 3CR. Sadly, a casualty of the corporatization of community services. And then we'll be joined by Karen Fletcher and Sarah Stilianos from Flat Out Incorporated, uh, and they are running an event called Outside Voices, which is a free online event for International Women's Day in collaboration with Flat Out and Creative Brimbank. Together they're running a short series of creative readings and songs from women and trans and gender diverse folks who have experienced criminalisation and imprisonment. The event will be tomorrow online at Friday the 11th of March from 6 to 7pm. We will then be joined by Lucy Hernan, who is a high school humanities and English teacher, a member of the AEU and of the rank and file educators group MESEJ. And they join us to discuss the call for improvements in the working standards for teachers. And then finally, we're going to be joined by Claudia, who's a former employee at the Australian lingerie company Honey Burdette, and Felicity Sauerbutz from Young Workers Centre. And they're speaking with us about the campaign to end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette. Now, some listeners might be familiar with the tireless organizing of former employees associated with the 2015 Not Your Honey campaign, uh, but Claudia's recently launched petition is raising concerns about the company's failure under the Equal Opportunity Act to prevent and respond to sexual harassment in the workplace. And we'll read this link out again later, but you can find out more and sign the petition by searching End Sexual Harassment at HoneyBirdette at megaphone.org.au. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is 7.08 in the morning. We're just going into the news headlines for today. So first of all, extreme weather warnings continue to be issued across Queensland and New South Wales this week, while residents are struggling to conduct largely community-driven cleanup and rebuilding efforts across the region. Lismore residents expressed frustration and dismay with Prime Minister Scott Morrison's handling of the situation, with many turning out to protest during his visit yesterday. Resident Kate Stroud, speaking to The Guardian, stated that the Prime Minister, quote, refused to come out, unquote, and, quote, didn't hear firsthand how it's affected us and what we need, end quote. While Mr. Morrison announced yesterday that some $385 million had been paid out so far in disaster recovery payments, many across flood-affected regions have expressed despair at the narrow scope, stringent eligibility criteria, and inadequacy of the payments, which are a lump sum of $1,000. These have now been extended for a further two weeks in the Richmond Valley, Lismore, and Clarence Valley areas. It's been confirmed that Mr. Morrison plans to recommend that the Governor-General declare the floods in New South Wales and Queensland an official national emergency, which will expedite the deployment of resources and support to these areas. 
Mr. Morrison referred to the event as a national catastrophe, but has still remained equivocal on making a direct statement on the role of climate change. Indigenous leaders are also calling for urgent funding of 400, sorry, not 440 million to tackle rheumatic heart disease. The preventable disease has been eradicated across so-called Australia, yet continues to impact young Indigenous people across the country. A recent Four Corners investigation revealed that three young Indigenous women died of the disease within a 12-month period in the Queensland town of Dumaji. State Premier Anastasia Plaskuk has confirmed the deaths are under investigation, while standards of care delivery and management practices at Dumaji Hospital are under scrutiny, with reports that people were given paracetamol and sent away after presenting to an emergency department 12 different times while coughing up blood. Noongar Woman and Rheumatic Heart Disease Australian Director Vicky Wade states that the urgent action is taken now. Um, more lives will be lost. Too many young people are dying because of neglect, disinterest, racism and poor health outcomes, all of which are easily preventable. Also take notice of Take Heart, Deadly Heart is an upcoming film release that demonstrates how investing in community-led initiatives and preventative program can help address these, this gross negligence. And lastly, in news headlines today, the Victorian government has announced that they will set aside 1.36 gigalitres for traditional owners in northern Victoria as part of the latest audit of the Connections Irrigation Modernisation Project. This is the first time traditional owners will be receiving entitlements in the southern Murray-Darling Basin as part of the government handback. Even with the historic allocation of 1.36 gigalitres, this will only water one wetland in northern Victoria. However, there are many traditional owner groups who have several wetlands within country. Murray Lower Darling River's Indigenous Nations have challenged other southern basin states, including New South Wales, ACT and South, South Australia, and the respective water ministers to meet this benchmark as a minimum standard. Yeah, I think, um, well, that's the end of the official headlines, but I also just wanted to shout out the Koori Mail newspaper. Koori Mail has been doing just some incredible work in the Lismore area, helping the whole community, not just the Aboriginal community. And I think like, you know, when we look at the at the sort of stopgap work that has had to be done by communities that are facing massive loss, that have lost their homes, their businesses, um, that have lost loved ones, that have lost, you know, property, um, you know, just seeing the way that the community has rallied together has been amazing, but also, um, has really shown the inadequacy of government efforts. And we're seeing uh, videos coming out of these regions where even though the Australian Defence Force has been deployed, um, you know, there are reports from residents that there's been very little tangible support that has happened on the ground so far. So we really hope that's going to be changing, especially after the Prime Minister has visited. But just, again, a shout-out to the amazing organising work of communities um, one more thing, uh, I wanted to plug an event that's happening today. So this is a policy for equality, painful periods as a workplace issue. And there's a panel launching this on uh, today, Thursday, the 10th of March from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. And this is on a report by the Rights Advocacy Project advocating for fairer workplaces for people who menstruate. And this is joining a growing movement in Australia and around the world. So you can find more information at uh, Rights Advocacy project on Instagram and that is a policy for equality painful periods as a workplace issue tonight at 5.30pm If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline 
Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wildways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wildways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wildways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and the Naro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. And now we will play an expert ex- excerpt from a conversation with Dr. Mary Graham, a Kuma Mary and Waka Waka person from South East Queensland, on collaborative governance and relational ethos, introduced by Dr. Michelle Maloney, who is the co-founder and national conveyor of Australian Earth Laws Alliance. I'd like to acknowledge that I live on Jagara and Turrbal country here in North Brisbane and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I always like to acknowledge the ongoing impacts and legacy of colonisation and the role that many of us um, are trying to play in decolonising our minds, hearts and spirits and the work that we do here in this continent. That acknowledgement was given by Dr Michelle Maloney, co-founder and national convener of the Australian Earth Laws Alliance for the sixth Women's Climate Conversation, titled Listening to First Nations Knowledge to Inform Earth-Centred Collaborative Governance. Dr Michelle Maloney is working with Dr Mary Graham on a book, Future Law, How Indigenous First Laws, the Relationist Ethos and Ecological Governance Can Be a Foundation for Our Future. We'll hear first from Mary Graham. She was born in Brisbane and grew up on the Gold Coast. She's a Kombu Mary person and is also affiliated with the Waka Waka group through her mother. She's lectured and tutored on Aboriginal history, politics and comparative philosophy at the University of Queensland and at other educational institutions around the country and has held many roles in organisations. Dr Mary Graham. I've always been wondering, since I was quite young, about... How did this come to be, the the things that have happened to Australia over the last couple of centuries? Uh, And then further than that, of course, a couple of thousand, you know, millennia. How did these things happen? How did they come about and so on? And I suppose from a a shared law concept is I usually repeat the question, 
posed by Ari Motten, who, who is an expert in law, both Aboriginal and Western law. By what law do you or these people come to this country? By what law? Because all actions and decisions, everything like that, thinking, is usually, traditionally, culturally, it comes into the area of... So how you act, how you make decisions, for what reasons you make decisions, in what area uh, of life or existence that you're talking about, it always has something to do with the law. And so the, the law in that sense, as I understand it, uh, in this broad sense, it's a very, very broad, deep um, thing. It's to do with the whole of existence. It's not, it's not man-made law uh, in that sense, as I understand it. So I suppose starting off with the, the book and how we had to work these things out ourselves, me and uh, Michelle, one of the very first things I was saying was it's impossible, actually. Basically, the whole thing is impossible to bring two such different laws together, not just simply because ours is so old. It's so old and it involves all kinds of things, plus the fact that uh, Western law upholds colonialism and imperialism. It upholds it. It's the foundation of it, actually. So how can two such completely different sort of ways get together? And I suppose that is going to be an ongoing thing. So, yes, it is very different. There won't be, as far as I am aware, anyway, and know that Aboriginal law is going to be subsumed within Western law. Not at all. It's not going to, even though it looks like that, and the attempt is always made like that. It just doesn't work. And yet, what we have to do is to try and get on. And this is the brilliance of um, Aboriginal thinking and uh, cultural history, cultural being is that they actually did work out a way of how do you live together while people are not necessarily, they don't get on or they don't like each other. How do you do that? How do you continue to live together? But certainly not by living in each other's, as they say, pocket, you know, not by one dominating the other, not by people uh, warring, you know, in conflict completely. And yet some way we have to work this out. And that's the entrance into I guess, relationalism, and that's what Aboriginal people sort of figured out. So somehow, I don't know how, uh, but I think that's the real question that the book poses. Uh, it's going to be very difficult, but, you know, everybody's here forever, you know. Don't think Australians are going to go back to England anytime soon. <laughs> no, nor would we want to because we're, um, we're all intermarried and interconnected and so on and so on. Things are changing very rapidly, so it is a different world now, but it's still a, it's still an Aboriginal country, as Aboriginal people themselves say, always was, always will be. But I like to quote an old uh, Aboriginal activist called Mum Shirl. I don't know if people are familiar with the name. Sydney, uh, Sydney Curry. Sorry, I don't know her mob. Uh, she died now. But she said something along the lines of... Um, if only they'd come here differently, not in an invasive way, and told us their problems of being um, kicked out of their country, basically, you know, by convict, you know, the terrible system of uh, suffering. She goes on a, a little bit like that. And then she says, we could have worked something out, actually. We could have worked something out because the people didn't, didn't realise or didn't acknowledge or didn't even want to know 
that we're the kind of la- the landlords, you know. Aboriginal people cross the country. They're the landlords of the country. They've run the country for thousands of years, basically, and we worked out how to get on with each other. So it could have been worked out. So 200 years, 300 years later, we're just starting, I, I hope, I, I would hope, that we're just starting to think, well, maybe that's a good idea to work out how we get on, both via the institutions, by that, uh, by um, our institutions, that is too, not just the Western ones, our institutions, a whole lot of different ways, as we said before, philosophically, psychologically and so on. So I'd like to leave it there about the book. Dr Mary Graham talking about the book Future Law, which she's writing with Michelle Maloney. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And as you heard there, you just heard a conversation uh, with Dr. Mary Graham, who's a Kombu Mary and Waka Waka person from southeast Queensland on collaborative governance and relational ethos. And this was introduced by Dr. Michelle Maloney, who's co-founder and national convener at the Australian Earth Laws Alliance. And you can catch Earth Matters on Sundays, 3CR uh, from 11 AM. Now we're going to go to a little clip of MC Drexwester, a.k.a. Stinky Girl, from Rumination, speaking at 3CR's IWD Street Party on Tuesday the 8th of March. So we'll go to that now. And welcome back to 3CR's International Women's Day Street Party. Thank you. If you're at home listening, this is 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital or 3cr.org.au. And by the way, my name's uh, MC Drexfester, and uh, that's kind of like scummy sister. So, you know, Drexfester Alalanda Fereinikoi, and that's uh, scummy sisters of the world unite, yeah? <laughs> and I'm up here with Jane, and uh, we've got another act coming up. We were going to have a few of the techs come up and have a chat, but quite understandably, they've decided they are exhausted because they've had a very big day. So first I'd like to say thank you to all the techs and the hard work they've done today. Um, It's such a diverse community here at 3CR, and I'd just like to talk a little bit about the techs. And and they were going to have a talk about training, and um, I I figure I'll just tell you my story. 3CR actually saved my life. Uh, I was homeless in St Kilda about 15 years ago, and um, I was busking on the street for, well, for whatever it was that, you know, could get you through the day. And uh, there's actually a program on 3CR called Ruminations, and it's made by and for homeless people and people experiencing homelessness. And one of the people who runs that show saw me busking and asked if I'd like to come on and play a song. So I was like, OK, well, that's something to do with my day. That's not self-destructive. So, yeah, I said, yeah, OK. And uh, then they asked if I'd like to contribute regularly. And I said, OK. And then they said, would you like to do the training so you can actually run the panel? And um, it was at that point in my life where it was like, I can either continue to be completely and utterly self-destructive <laughs> or I can um, actually take up this offer to join this community. And ever since then, I've been, well, I got housed. But uh, other than that, I've, I've actually learned what the word community is through being part of this community here. And it's so diverse. Every echelon of the real community is represented on air, on 3CR. And so... I'd like to say thank you to 3CR for continuing this not just great work, great activism, but continuing to be a community, especially after the last two years, which have been, if nothing, if not divisive. And um, it's 
quite overwhelming to see everyone here together again today. Um, I haven't been <laughs> around so many people all at one time for a very long time. And uh, it's, while it's nerve-wracking and terrifying, it's also extremely heartwarming. And um, I'm just really grateful to be a member of the 3CR community. So once again, I'd like to say thank you for joining us at the street party, at the International Women's Day street party. Thank you, 3CR, for putting on the street party every year. Or, well, not the street party, but putting on special broadcasting for International Women's Day every year. It's so important. This uh, toxic patriarchy creates people like me. You know, uh, in my early 20s, this guy beat me up and then sent a letter to everyone we knew telling me why I deserved it. And it had words like femo-fascist and uh, uh, the feminist praxis. And I was so young, I had no idea what he was on about. So I had a look into it. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> so... And so thank you for creating exactly what you sought to destroy. Um, uh, but uh, now coming up, and I should have said language warning on my little speech there, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say language warning coming up on this uh, next set. We've got another diverse member of the 3CR community. We've got Marushti. Uh, and uh, Marushti is the uh, producer and host of Salaam Radio Show. And uh, I will... You're going to hear a lot of uh, the work, but if you'd like to find out more, you can find Marushti on SoundCloud. And I had a listen last night. Some amazing stuff up there. And so if you'd like to find out more, it's M-A-R-R-O-U-S-H-T-I. And uh, go to SoundCloud and check out some of Marushti's work. But uh, welcome to the stage. And thank you to everyone, and thank you for uh, joining us. Marushti!
And that was an expert from MC Dekwesha, a.k.a. Stinky Girl from Rumination, speaking at 3CR's International Women's Day Street Party on Tuesday, March the 8th, an event actively pushing back against white liberal corporate feminism. Rumination's radio was a show produced and presented by people with a lived experience of homelessness that until recently was presented on 3CR, sadly a casualty of the corporatization of community services. You heard at the end there a part of the set from DJ Marushti from Salam Radio, um, which you can hear on Sundays on 3CR from 4pm. And you can check out the full International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast at www.3cr.org.au forward slash IWD2022. And now we're heading into an interview with Inez. Thanks, Oliga. Now we'll be joined by Karen Fletcher from Flat Out Inc. and Stara Silianis, who is a performer for Outside Voices, which is a free online event for International Women's Day in collaboration with Creative Bing Bang and Flat Out Inc. Together they're running a short series of creative readings and songs from women and trans and gender diverse folks who are experienced criminalization and imprisonment. And the event will be online tomorrow, Friday the 11th of March from 6 to 7. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Karen and Sarah. Thank Great to be here. Well, thank you so much. Uh, well, maybe I'll just tell the listeners a little bit about um, both of you. So Karen is the Executive Officer at Flat Out Inc., an independent, non-for-profit, community-based organisation that provides statewide homelessness support and advocacy for women who have had contact with the criminal justice and or prison system. And Sarah Stilianis is one of the performers for Outside Voices. They're driven towards social change and abolishing the prison system that continues to perpetuate harm and control. They work, study, volunteer and advocate to dismantle these systemic injustices. Uh, well, I, maybe I'll just start off with saying that uh, I know in the description of the event, Sarah, you state that these systems continue perpetuating further harm due to systems committed due to the system's commitment to exert power and control to those most vulnerable in, within society. So could you tell us maybe a little bit about the event and why do you, I guess, both feel events like these are so important for women and trans and gender diverse people who've experienced criminalization? Yep, Karen, did you want to go first? Ah, no, Sarah, I'll go after <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> um, okay, so, so I'm just going to take Um Yeah, so... For me, it's important because, you know, sometimes voices can get lost, you know, and um, around International Women's Day, like, you know, it's, it's around all women, not just women who, you know, people seem, uh, people who deem, you know, are socially acceptable women, you know, like, or women from all, like, backgrounds, you know, like, those who are criminalised and that are currently, you know, in prison and, um, you know, uh, trans and gender diverse, you know, women, like all women, all women, you know, it doesn't matter, um, you know, women who are experiencing, you know, violence, homelessness, drug addiction, mental health, like, this goes on, like, women, they can't be forgotten, and I don't know, I feel like this um, event is really crucial to bringing out the voices that don't get recognised or may not be remembered when we do celebrate International Women's Day. No, it's, it's not just around, um, you know, cultural diversity. It's around all the diversity. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think that, um, yeah, like women need to be recognised um, for being women and, and realising that, you know, women are subjected to plenty of harm due to the patriarch and, um, 
know the un- underlying um, systemic structures that continue to uh, cause further harm. So, yeah, I just think it's important to always remember and bring the voices of women, um, you know, especially those criminalised and, and currently incarcerated because they can be uh, lost and forgotten as well. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I think that uh, leads very well into the next question, which is, I know in the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service um, held a recent seminar on coercive control, also for International Women's Day, and they spoke about how difficult it can be for those who move from a class that is deemed worthy of protection to a class that is experiencing criminalisation and incarceration, and how difficult it can be to actually move out of that. Uh, I guess for both of you, what do you wish people knew more about when it came to the criminalisation of women and trans and gender diverse folks? Um, I would say the, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of trauma around, you know, being, um, you know, experiencing, you know, sexual violence and physical violence and also, um, you know, the system harms, you know, harms us in more ways than, than, um, imaginable. Like it, it seems as though, you know, just because it's written in a policy or wherever it's written by law for, you know, police and, um, you know, prison officers to be able to exert that power over women and trans, you know, the transgender uh, folk as well. Like, it's just, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. And same with the First Nations, you know, as well. Like, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, a lot of women are entering into the prison system and the criminal justice system due to you know, a lot of, you know, family violence or homelessness or things that are really beyond their own control because they don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to break away from that. And, um, you know, then they're subjected to further violence and further harm once they enter the criminal justice system and, you know, strip searches and being targeted and, you know, the the continuation of ongoing abuse. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't stop, Um yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that, Sarah uh, has um, uh, set it out pretty clearly there, but I, I think that forum um, by the Aboriginal Legal Service uh, on Tuesday was really powerful in challenging that. Um, what Sarah was talking about before, where of the voices of women that get most attention around International Women's Day and around discussions of feminism uh, are not the voices of the women who are the most subject to coercion and control, mm-hmm. um, systemic coercion and control, yeah, through co- uh, colonisation, through uh, gendered violence, um, and women who have experienced that kind of systemic coercive control are essential. Their voices are essential if we're going to actually achieve sort of liberation of women and trans and gender diverse people. If we just if we just fiddle around with you know who's going to be the boss of big companies um, rather than the issue of you know coercion and control and uh, liberation for all women um, and trans and gender diverse people and all people. Um, we're not going to make progress. So these voices, you know, that that are going to be um, heard on Friday night are just so essential uh, for people to understand the reality of what 
happens in prison and in the criminal justice system. People wouldn't... A, a, a lot of people are not, you know, they're not 3CR listeners. I mean, 3CR is really great at um, talking about these issues, but most of the media doesn't uh, cover some of the most fundamental injustices that are going on in terms of... Um, you know, intergenerational trauma from colonisation ongoing, removal of children, family violence, uh, the sort of self-medication with, with alcohol and other drugs that can lead to contact with the criminal justice system. Kids whose you know, parents are imprisoned or caught up in the criminal justice system and who then uh, you know, end up in out-of-home care or homeless um, and then end up in the system. All of these things that, you know, everyday occurrences in Victoria and Australia that are not properly discussed and um, are hidden away in prisons which are just not subject to enough scrutiny. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to... uh provide safe spaces where people can safely share this, which I, which is why I'm, I'm so excited. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are excited for outside voices as well. Um, I guess also I'm wondering how, how do you believe that safe spaces can be created and what did you consider in making an event like Outside Voices? Um, maybe let's start off with Karen. Well, I think the most important thing is that they're made by the people who are speaking. Um, Stacey is something, and Sarah might want to talk about this, because um, she's been doing a lot of speaking uh, as a leader of the Homes Not Prisons campaign, um, as well as in other work. And it is um, something that's not easy uh, and uh, does require a lot of planning and um, organising to make sure that the spaces are safe enough. Um, but I think there's always risk in speaking. Um, so it's really quite courageous and brave for these folks to be coming out and expressing themselves through the music and writing that they've done. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask Sarah as well, uh, what role do you think that creativity plays in healing and moving forward? Because given um, like your bio and other things with the outside voices, it seems like that seems like an integral part of you. So I was just wondering if you would like to speak to that a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I feel like, you know, creativity, whether it's writing, music, singing, art, like how, however it is, I feel like, you know, that's like an know innate gift or like you know for for all of us and I think each individual has that it's just you know sometimes finding it and it can get lost along the way because of trauma and you know and and just various range of things that can get lost you know so being able to to find it and express yourself in a way that's not just through you know speaking because sometimes you know to find the words to express what you want to through um like verbally, like we are currently, like sometimes it's hard to find those words and it's hard to fully grasp and express what what you really want to say. So I don't know, I feel like being able to, you know, have a powerful message through, you know, tonight I have a video presentation, you know, with, with me singing as well as, you know, um, various things of my journey so far, but also around, you know, the, the harms that, you know, oppressed women do face. Um, you know, and the fact is that we live in a society that um, continues to keep the notion that, you know, you do the crime, you do the time, but no one but doesn't look at the fact of, like, what has led somebody to, you know, um, 
behave in certain ways that then um, enters them, have them entered into the criminal justice system. Like that gets ignored, and it's actually really, you know, damaging, even further damaging. So I think you know, being able to express that and express the fact of like you know toxic masculinity and the patriarch, and, and, and being able to voice out the fact of like how damaging that has happened. You know, like I feel like you know the patriarch was designed to justify male ego and male behaviours so they can, you know, continue to sexualise women and to do whatever they, however they please and exert power and control over, you know, over women and children um, and anybody else who is not a no white cisgendered male, um, you know, and I feel like, I don't know, I just, I get this really heavy drive where I just want to, like, dismantle the whole thing and I think it's just, um, you know, women have had ongoing suffering due to the fact of, um, yeah, male dominance, and I, you know, I want to dismantle that, and you can see that through the way that, um, you know, the prison system set up, as well as, you know, um, the police force and the government, and it's all over. Like, if you look at the system just as a whole, and you can see that that's male domination, you know? Um, yeah, it's not taking into consideration, you know, yeah, the well, harm... Yeah, I find listening to Sarah, um, uh, it just gives an indication of how powerful, as she says, this drive to change things is amongst people who survived um, the kind of trauma of criminalisation and imprisonment and all the things that led up to that. There's enormous strength there, and that comes through in... Um, in the words and in the creative output of people who've been through these things, and there's so much to learn from that. I think that's uh, one of the most exciting things about being involved in creating these spaces. And I just wanted to also say about creating the spaces, apart from um, you know listening to the people who are speaking and what they need in terms of safety, the other thing, of course, is the most important thing, is um, solidarity from... Uh, from other people, including organisations like 3CR, uh, and created Brimbank. This is a bit the Brimbank Council um, community arts area has been so supportive of this. Uh, Grace Tame was asked by a journalist, you know, at one of the press um, club lunches that she did, you know, we're very worried about you. You're seeking truth to power. You're at risk. You could be in danger. Um, are you worried about that? And she said... I'm not as long as you are behind me. You, I need you to back me up. And I think that's the, that's the key thing, that um, if people are putting themselves in a position of um, vulnerability, speaking and um, uh, putting their creative work out there, uh, it's all of our responsibility to create a safe space and a, a space of solidarity and open eyes and ears to listen to that and learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, solidarity and knowing that creativity is in you and uh, being supportive of women, all women, and uh, I think the event will be such a beautiful way to showcase that. So I think we'll just leave it there for today because we've sadly run out of time. I'm sure I could talk to you both for hours. But, yeah, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us here today, both Karen and Sarah. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks, Inez. Thank Thank you. Bye. And we just listened to um, an interview with Karen Fletcher and Sarah Silianis for Outside Voices, which is a free online event for International Women's Day running tomorrow and the 11th of March um, from 6 to 7 p.m. And the link will be through Eventbrite. Thank you.
Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Get your Radical summer attire sorted. New stock of 3CR Radical Radio tees has just landed, featuring the iconic antenna design by artist Emily Floyd. As well as our basic black, we have a range of great pastel and primary colours in a variety of sizes. And for those radical little people, we have a short run of kids' tees available too. For just $30 for adults or $20 for kids, you can get yourself a local, ethically manufactured and printed tea that supports Radical Community Radio. We can send one out in the post and there's Click and Collect from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or if you're fully vaxxed, you can drop in and browse our t-shirt rack during business hours. To purchase online, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and we just heard from Inez, Sarah, and Karen. And just a reminder for people interested in joining tonight's event, which is running, sorry, tomorrow's event, sorry, I'm getting confused with my days, um, which is running from 6 PM till 7 PM. Um, you can go through Eventbrite and search International Women's Day, I'm sorry, you can search Outside Voices International Women's Day 2022 tickets. And now we're heading into an interview with Lucy Honan, who is a high school humanities and English teacher, a member of the AEU and of the Rank and File Educators Group, MESEJ, and they join us to discuss the call for improvements in the working standards for teachers. Thank you for joining us this morning, Lucy. Thanks, Malika. Thanks for having me. Really excited to talk um, a bit about this issue because it is a personal issue because my brother is a teacher. Shout out to my brother who's a teacher. <laughs> um, I guess starting off, could you tell us a bit more about Melbourne Educators for Social and Environmental Justice and the work that they do? Sure. So um, message is what you can say for short if you don't want the whole thing. Oh, hand, thank um, you so much. <laughs> So Message is a group of rank-and-file educators, and what we mean by rank-and-file is that we're not official, you know, we don't have official positions within the union, we're we're members, um, but we're organised together around trying to push for um, progressive education policy, both in terms of curriculum, um, pedagogy, what happens in schools between um, kids and teachers, um, but also in terms of teachers and education support staff working conditions and pay. Um, so we're, um, we're a small group at the moment and we're mainly organised within the Public School Teachers Union, the AEU, or Australian Education Union. Um, and, and at the moment, our union is bargaining with the state government. So a lot of our work at the moment has been focused around trying to push for um, conditions and pay deal from the um, from the state government that's better than what it is because we see that as a way a really important way of improving the quality of education um, in you know in Victoria. Of course, and I guess as part of that message, recently also organised a protest. Could you tell us a bit more about that and how that went? 
Sure. Okay. So um, a couple of Fridays ago, um, Message held a protest at the um, at the Education Minister James Molino's office in Treasury Place. So um, what's been happening over the last couple of months is that, um, as I said, we've been in bargaining. So our union officials have been negotiating a new enterprise bargaining agreement, paying conditions for um, Victorian public schools. Um, the Molino government put forward an, a, a proposed agreement that our union officials, AEU union officials, have in principle agreed to. Um, and message and many, 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 many um, educators in the AEU, rank and file educators, are very concerned that the deal is completely inadequate for what we need and a missed opportunity in terms of this kind of pandemic rethink about what essential work is, about how essential workers uh, should be recognised um, and what it is that we need in our schools to make them truly excellent places where people feel safe and are able to learn. Because I think during the pandemic, people have been really kind of thinking, all right, well, you know, the whole Build Back Better situation. What they've offered us is a slight improvement um, in preparation time. So you probably know, and definitely your brother will know, that um, teachers don't have enough preparation time. We're kind of on the go from class to class to class to class. Or if you're a primary school teacher, you're just face-to-face with your students all day long with only small breaks during the week with which to prepare or collaborate with others or communicate with other staff members or communicate with parents. You know, that time comes out of our own time ultimately. So we put forward, um, and people have been pushing for a long time, that both teachers and education support staff need um, preparation time. And the Molino government offered us a small improvement, so 1.5 hours um, over the next two years. We want it to be more, and we want it to be especially more for primary school teachers who have started from a much lower baseline. Um, but the other problem with the proposed agreement is that it's essentially a pay cut. So that small improvement in conditions comes at the expense of a real-term pay cut. Um, it's you know, it's 1% every six months of pay increase, um, which doesn't equal inflation. And when you look at, you know, what's kind of happening around the world, um, in Australia with rising prices of absolutely everything, it's, it's, it feels like a real insult to the people who have, you know, transitioned online, offline, we've been through this roller coaster to give us a pay cut at this particular point in time feels, you know, particularly insulting. And finally, the other the other things that just weren't even touched were class sizes. So we know that international best practice is around 20 in a class. In some primary schools, we've got up to 30 kids in a class. Um, you know, in high schools, there's no cap. There's no proper achievable cap. They're supposed to plan for 25 kids in a class, but often it's well high of that. So, you know, that's another thing that it's, it's about the conditions of those people who work there, but it's also about the quality of education that our students are getting the focus and the support that they that they need and that they're not getting. And we wanted to send that message to Molino. You know, we don't, we don't accept it. Um, it's just not good enough to treat us like this. So um, true. And it's, yeah. it's really relying on the goodwill of teachers to take on the extra time. Like I know seeing my brother... Even though we all joke, you have school holidays, he works the whole school holidays, he's working after school, he's working on his weekend and we don't get to hang out with him because he's got 
preparation to do, corrections to do. It yeah. really is an insult, like you said, to not consider inflation, to have like these demands not being met. And like following on from that, is there any other kind of demands that you and your crew are making for the Andrews government? Um well, so part of the Andrews government, and maybe we'll get to this a little later on, but part of the excuse that the Andrews government has made for why they can't give us anything more um, is that they have this public sector pay cap, which they've said up till now is a 2% cap on how much they'll spend on wages and how much they'll spend on improving conditions. So they come to the... So that's my bubba also complaining about this situation. Um They've kind of said, you know, we'll come to the bargaining table, we'll negotiate with union officials, but we're only going to do it within this framework. Um, and that's not just teachers, that's nurses, ambulance, um, public public servants, police, um, etc. So, you know, that kind of starting point, that um, framework, I suppose, has us on the back foot at the outset because 2% is not enough to achieve the kind of improvements that we need. It's not the kind of money that they're putting forward for other programs in this state, like prison expansion. You know, they've spent well more than that on policing over the last couple of years. So to kind of come at it with that sort of, you know, empty pockets, basically, and saying we're not going to spend that much, we're going to rearrange the deck chair slightly for you, um, it's a real problem. So we've been saying we need to break that, pay cap policy Mm. it's unacceptable for us it's unacceptable for nurses you know it's unacceptable for ambulance drivers we need to really um shift shift the mentality there and shift the framework with which we're negotiating and the interesting thing about it we've been told by you know some some people you know have have kind of said oh well like it's it's legislation you can't do anything about it you know it's the best that we can get and they've kind of given us a few little um, bits and pieces to try and get around, around their own pay cap. But the truth of it is it's just a policy. It's not legislated anywhere. It's their own kind of piece of paper that says we want to negotiate within this framework. And we just think, well, why would we accept that at all? It's not legislated. It's, it's, it's an idea that you've put forward that we should just reject out of hand and use our negotiating power um, if we need to, you know, use our industrial strength as a union, if we need to take more industrial action, then we should do that to to push the point that we won't stop um, fighting for, for public for quality public education. Yeah, so true. And I guess just what the pandemic has really shown is teachers and other essential workers have really had to pivot, sometimes with only a day's notice and take entire lesson plans and find a way to deliver it online when usually if you're doing science you have a lot of it is in person and the challenges that come with that and yeah like you're saying like these policies are things that are just the way things are but should definitely change and um i guess how long have these deliberations been going on for because from my understanding it's been a while yeah, it has been a while. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's been more than a year that the um, negotiations have been going on. Um, the ratification process has started. So the um, the AEU officials have kind of organised meetings on at which union members have delegated a vote and, you know, we vote on the, um, the agreement or not. And 
we, you know, message, we think there hasn't been enough debate about it. There hasn't been enough real scrutiny of this deal and discussion about, well, is this really as good as we can get, particularly when, you know, there is such support. I mean, there's always support for teachers and education support stuff, but I don't think it's ever been higher than it has been at this point in time. So, you know, those ratification meetings have been happening for the last couple of weeks and there's a few more of them coming up. And unfortunately, I think that we haven't been able to get the word out as well as um, the, you know, the, the yes vote potentially has. Um, we, we don't have the same resources. We don't have the same capacity to get to every school and sub-branch members and really say to people, you know, like, we can we can do better, let's do more. Where we have, people have definitely voted no. Yeah. They've kind of supported the idea of, you know, let's kick on, let's, let's try for better now. Um, so we're kind of hopeful that even if, you know, at this point in time we don't get the agreement that we need and we deserve, at least there are more union members thinking, well, what do we need to do to get organised so that next time we can? And hopefully there are lots of people looking out for message, um, yes. you know, on our Facebook group and online and getting involved and trying to find other ways to get organised. Yeah, and I guess a bit of a segue, um, you said that there's increased support for this, do you think that's because a lot of people in community have had to actually school their children at home and have really understood what actually goes on during those eight to nine hours that they're at school? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think people have really struggled, teachers, parents, kids, the, like, the trio of that education kind of trifecta. We, we really struggled throughout both of yeah. those extremely long lockdowns. And, you know, most of the time we did the best we could. I think there were times in which we were pitted against each other, you know, yeah. and there was a lot of stress um, brought out, you know, brought, brought that out. And it always does at the worst of times, you know. Um, the buck is passed, you know, within that, that triangle. Yeah. But I think a lot of people realise exactly, we, you know, we're, we're that three, the three of us, students, teachers and parents, we need to work together to get out of this kind of, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, the pandemic was hard, but it, it pointed to cracks in the system that yeah. already existed. Yeah. Why is it the case that one teacher doesn't have enough time to talk individually to all the students that they have in a week? You know, that's crazy. How do you feel understood and looked after and respected as a student if your teacher doesn't have that time? And how do you feel trustful as a parent if your kid's teacher doesn't have that time? Mm. So, you know, I think all of that kind of stress should rightly be put on the Molina government and that kind of, you know, this can be fixed. If we can, as you said, you know, like we rearrange things overnight to go online. If that sort of thing can be rearranged overnight, well, there's some other premises that we have as a society about how much we spend on prisons and policing versus how much we spend on schools. That can be written as well. So true. And I guess just as we wrap up for today's interview, so we can get the message out. Um, how can people follow the work that Message is doing? Um, great, great pun there. I like that. I didn't <laughs> mean to do that. It just happened. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate it. It's um, look us up, Message. So Melbourne Educators for Social Environmental Justice. We have a Facebook group which, if you um, request to join, we'll, we'll, we'll let you in. Um, and we've got a Facebook page and a website as well. So that's M-E-S-E-J, or Melbourne Educators for Social Environmental Justice. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy, and um, for listeners who are listening in today, definitely go check out the work that message is doing. Thanks, Malika. See ya. 
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and we just heard from Lucy Honan, who is a high school humanities and English teacher, a member of the AEU, and the Rank and File Educators Group message, and they joined us to discuss the call for improvements in the working standards for teachers in Victoria. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is 8.03 in the morning. We're going to go to a track in a moment, but I just want to announce, well, I mean, I'm not announcing it. I'm re-announcing the announcement by Alice Skye uh, this week of her uh, her much-anticipated tour for the I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good album. And so this tour is with Harmony Byrne and Maddie Colville-Walker and their dates across May of 2020. So definitely head to Alice Sky's socials to find out more about shows in your city. And uh, now we're going to go to the track Everything is Great from I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good by Alice Skye.
And that was Everything is Great by Alice Skye. And again, a reminder that the I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good album tour 22, uh, 2022 is about to kick off in May. So head to Alice Skye's uh, social media. That's at Alice Skye on Instagram and I believe on Twitter as well to find out more information about shows in your city. Now we're going to go to another track. This is Smile by Izzy. just heard a song called Smile by Izzy and they are a wonderful band and also they are playing tomorrow uh, at 8pm at the Old Bar in Fitzroy and you can just go to Old Bar or look up Izzy, I-Z-Y on their socials as well. Excellent. And we're now going into an interview with Claudia. Oh, Claudia. Oh, my goodness. I threw myself. I said Claudia before. And then, uh, you know, don't worry about that. We're going into an interview with Claudia and Felicity. So Claudia is a former employee at Honey Burdette. And Felicity is uh, from the Young Workers Center. And Claudia has started a petition via megaphone to end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette. So we're going to be talking a bit about that petition and the support that's being received from Young Workers Center. So hello, Claudia and Felicity. Welcome to Thursday Breakfast. Thanks for having us. 
So I might kick it off with a question for Claudia. So for listeners who aren't familiar with the company and the campaign, could you tell us a bit about Honey Burdette and your experiences working there? Because some of our listeners, and definitely I am familiar with the 2015 Not Your Honey campaign, which originally took the company to task with allegations of an unsafe workplace culture. So has anything changed there since? Um, that's a really, really great question. Um, essentially, a lot, I would say not, not a lot has changed, unfortunately, and that's, that's part of the issue. Um, so what Honeybird actually is, just for everyone who's not completely aware of it already, um, is it's a lingerie brand um, that basically operates out of most shopping centres, and they do sell sex toys as well. Um, their whole message, their whole sort of shtick is about empowering women, which is actually really disappointing given that, you know, the, what they actually offer is not empowering at all if you're an employee or if you work there. So an average day for someone who works there, um, I would say most people, looks like things like being required to wear really sexist uniform, for example. So um, red lipstick, wing liner, and it's really unspoken, but they do sort of, there's, there's some certain pressure of being asked to wear visible lingerie, so three items of visible lingerie. Um, things like being asked to wear heels all day, every day. I actually had um, a manager at one point take her shoes off and say to me, well, I've got bunions, so there's no excuse for you not to wear them type thing. So the whole attitude there is, not really conducive to a positive and a safe workplace as well. Um, I mean, I could go on about all the different things that happen there as well, but at the end of the day, the things that they ask from you are things like creating custom sexual fantasies to customers. Like, these are things that you will actively speak about with real customers every single day. And doing that in that space where you're often working alone actually creates a really toxic environment because if you do come across a customer, and this is not uncommon, but if you do come across a customer who is going to take what you're saying potentially the wrong way or misunderstand that it is just a job and become aggressive or become violent, um, there's actually no way really for you to ensure your safety in that store. So what that means is in some stores, even today, there are still no cameras. So that's a huge, huge issue. There's also no um, preventable measures being put in place for things like that. So, for example, no lockable spaces. You know, if if someone's mm-hmm. following you around and you're working on your own, you can't lock yourself out the back, as it were, or you can't lock yourself away in a change room. And because the stores are so, so small, um, it's often impossible to get out of the store if you're trying to move away from someone who's mm-hmm. being particularly harassing. All of these things, I guess, the onus really falls on Honey Butter. And so it's a really long way to answer your question. Is not a lot has changed, unfortunately. I think WorkSafe addressed the idea that there was no um, water being readily provided to workers in those stores. So Honey Butter was then required to have water delivered to the stores. Um, that did happen for a very short period of time, but mm-hmm. it's my understanding that it no longer continues, unfortunately. And so... That's why today, you know, um, women like myself are still coming forward and we're still speaking out about it. Um, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, the 
the range of issues that you've described there yeah. is just, yeah. you know, it's just ridiculous, especially, you know, off the back of a 2015 campaign that was already drawing attention to to this work with pretty tireless organizing by workers there. Um, mm-hmm. And also what you've described, I guess, speaks to a question that I was going to direct to Felicity, but Claudia, feel free to chime in as well. Um, I was wondering about some of the issues that are faced by young casual workers, particularly young women and gender diverse people who face issues of identity based exploitation in the workplace. So especially when we're talking about these questions of um, empowerment and how that relates to, you know, your identity as a young woman um, and working in these spaces that are supposed to be, you know, feminist spaces like pro woman. how does this all affect workers' ability to speak up, and how does the Young Workers Centre also assist with these kinds of cases? Yeah, sure. So what Claudia has described is sexual harassment and gendered violence, and we know young women, especially young casual workers in particular, are susceptible to sexual harassment in the workplace. And we know that just like Claudia has described, that sexual harassment and gendered violence can come from managers um, and customers well, uh, customers as well. And on some occasions, it can come from some some other workers in the workplace too. And so, some stories that we hear at the Young Workers Centre of ways that sexual harassment can rear its head in lots of ugly ways, um, including unwelcome physical touching, sexual or suggestive comments unwelcome requests or compliments, displaying sexual materials or gendered and sexualized dress codes, just like the things that Claudia was talking about a moment ago. Now, of examples of um, stories that we've heard at the Young Workers Centre, we've had young workers reach out to us whose managers have got them even drunk and sexually abused them. We've had another young worker reach out to us who was sexually harassed by her manager, and then they proceeded to distribute images to her friends, family and partner, which they'd obtained through by hacking um, into her social media account. And um, we've had other young workers reach out to us who have um, experienced discrimination at work. And that's when a person is a victim of, a, of unjust or prejudicial treatment or adverse action because of a particular characteristic. And um, might be their age, their gender, as you mentioned before, uh, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, and um, religion, disability, or physical features. And as you mentioned, lots of young workers are casual workers And casual workers are precarious workers, and that precarious nature of their work means that young workers are vulnerable to sexual harassment or discrimination in the first place. Um, And they're often worried about losing their jobs or not getting enough shifts too, and that makes it harder for them to speak up against injustices when they do experience them at work. You know, it's not easy to reach out or speak out for assistance, um, but it is important to remember that young workers can't be sacked or punished for speaking out about sexual harassment um, or bullying or discrimination. And we really encourage young workers to stick together together if there are others impacted in the workplace and to join their union for two reasons. One, because there's power in numbers when we come together as a collective. And two, a union will also provide workers with the best protection, the most effective avenues to dealing with sexual harassment or discrimination um, when they raise them at work. Mm, Absolutely. And Claudia, did you want to jump onto that and talk a bit about the sort of nature of the exploitation and the gender dimension there as well? Um, I think 
something you mentioned before as well is when you're speaking about young women. So I think that reminds me of the type of sort of age bracket that Honeybitter likes to employ. And I guess you could say the same for most um, retail environments. It does attract a young woman, you know, for a lot of women at Honeybutter, this might actually be their first job. So they've just turned 18, or in some unfortunate instances, they're not yet 18. Um, they come into the job and, you know, they think that they're being offered this beautiful environment to work in, that it's where this beautiful um, sort of ideal of what a woman, I guess, should be and should act like. It's, it's you know, it's pitched to them as being really glamorous. Right, so what Honey Better actually describes, um, quote unquote, honeys or employees as um, is showgirls. They they actually offer all this training to have you act and speak and look like a showgirl. Um, and I think for young women, especially, you know, if it's their first job, potentially that can actually be really really damaging um, for their self image and for what their perceptions of. I guess, a safe workplace or, you know, their identity can look like as well to fit tightly into this, mm. um, I guess, the showgirl mould because everyone in that brand that works, I guess, in stores is made to fit so tightly into that mould. Mm-hmm. And you can see it, you know, most women who work in those stores um, look and sound almost exactly the same and that's that's what they want. They just essentially, honey butter would like to have you know, carbon copy after carbon copy, unfortunately, of mm. a certain type of woman working there because that's, that's what sells, unfortunately, for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, when I was talking before about the sort of nature of portraying a kind of, like, feminist aesthetic as well, it's sort of like, um, you know, the way that I think about it is maybe presenting the glamour of a Dita Von style girl boss Um but in reality, this is glossing over the exploitation and sexual harassment that people are experiencing at work and that, in, in fact, is expected uh, to be put up with as part of this job. Um, so, Claudia, can you tell us a bit about the current campaign and what your exact concerns are about the Equal Opportunity Act and what you're asking for for management at Honey Burdett? What would a win look like to you here? Um, so a couple of things in, in that question. I guess, you know, the Equal Opportunity Act, um, actually says, you know, exactly this. You know, a person must take reasonable and proportional measures to eliminate discrimination, victimisation and sexual harassment. Now, despite that being in the Act and actual legislation, Honey Burdett is still somehow not, you know, abiding by that or providing that. And again, really, really disappointing to see. Um, it's, you know, it's yeah, it is just that. It is really disappointing. And I guess, you know, furthermore on the Equal Opportunity Act, it is, I feel, personally, still a little bit lacking. Um, I feel like there are some clauses in there that, you know, yes, you know, some people have a duty to eliminate discrimination and sexual harassment, but it doesn't yet, as far as my understanding, um, hold employers accountable for not providing a safe workspace. So that's something I guess mm. I'd like to see change as well. Um I guess going forward, you know, the whole point of the campaign, I mean, you know, what, what, like you said, what would be a win, what would be a good outcome? I suppose um, the answer to that is what, what I would really like to see is Honey Burdett, first of all, acknowledge what we're doing and, you know, validate what we're saying. Say, you know, offer an apology. Say, yes, okay, we acknowledge that these things have happened in the past, 
um, we apologise. And then these are the steps that we're going to take to change our practices um, going forward. And these, these are things that, you know, I've just thought of. But I guess, you know, the, the onus is really on them to implement and affect change in their own business, mm-hmm. um, however, you know, they see fit, I suppose. But in terms of a win, um, I guess, it, you know, what a win looks like is, in a way, as, as far as I've already come, you know, I can't completely overlook um, my experiences with the Young Workers Union as well because that's been enormously helpful. Um, but it also looks like, you know, having more support from potentially ex-workers, current workers coming out um, and, like, you know, banding together and speaking together because, again, that's that's exactly it. That's where we're stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a win, basically, in the future, my point is that, yes, we'd like to see Honey Better acknowledge and apologise and change their policies. But as far as we've come, you know, I feel like the campaign has gained a generous amount of awareness. And we've already heard from some ex-workers and current mm. workers. So I don't completely feel like it's been, um, you know, like by any means like a waste. I think it's been really, really good so far as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, we saw, you know, Chanel, uh, who's a previous worker at Honey Burdett, um, speaking at the International Women's Day rally as well um, in support of this. So it's really good to see, you know, a groundswell of solidarity from ex-workers too. Um, so I think we're probably going to have to head towards wrapping up in a moment. But, Felicity, I was wondering very quickly if you could just let us know about the sort of procedural role of bodies like Work uh, Safe Victoria and the Fair Work Ombudsman in this space. Yeah, sure. And I'm not going to lie, the legal avenues to justice for a worker who have been bullied, sexually harassed or discriminated at work are not great. There's no one clear route to a positive outcome. Um, But what current workers can do is lodge an application to the Fair Work Commission for a stop bullying order. Um, And workers can also make a complaint to WorkSafe, um, as you would about any other issue in a safe workplace. Um, Or if the workers have elected a health and safety representative, they can also issue a provisional improvement notice, known as a PIN, um, if there's an immediate threat to a worker or workers' health and safety too. So there are a few different routes, um, and it does make it easier if the worker's still employed there as well. There are a few more avenues. um, But like I said, it is is a tricky route to... um, to justice for young workers who find themselves in this situation. And that's why it's really important for Claudia to be speaking out about her experiences because shining a light on Honeybird at disgusting practices is more likely right now, to be honest, to force them into ending sexual harassment in their stores. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for also uh, detailing some of those issues for, I'm sure, other people that are listening to this program who might also be interested in raising complaints about their own workplaces. Um, So, Claudia, where can listeners support the campaign and sign the petition? And Felicity, where can listeners find out more info about the Young Workers Centre? So if people are interested in having a look at the campaign and signing the petition, um, if you go to the Megaphone website, so it's www.megaphone.org.au, and even if you just put um, into Google and sexual harassment and honey budget, because there's actually two campaigns and two petitions running at the same time, Mm -hmm. the um, 2015 campaign and petition is still active, and we're actually still seeing signatures today roll in. Um, So, you know, both of them, perfect. 
Absolutely. Excellent. And Felicity? Yeah, so if you're a young worker in Victoria, age 30 and under, and if something doesn't seem right at work, reach out to us at youngworkers.org.au or ring us on 1-800-714-754. Excellent. Well, Claudia and Felicity, thank you so much for your time and encourage people to check out the campaign. Thanks for having us again. And that was Claudia, a former employee at the Australian lingerie company Honey Burdette, and Felicity Sauerbutz from the Young Workers Centre, who spoke with us about the campaign to end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette. We're coming up to time at Thursday Breakfast now, so we might just do a very quick rundown of what we had on the show today. Yeah, uh, we had an expert from a conversation with Dr. Mary Graham uh, at a, on collaborative governance and relational ethos introduced by Dr. Michelle Maloney. We then spoke with um, MC Drekwishta um, from Rumination speaking at 3CR's International Women's Day Street Party on Tuesday, March the 8th. And then we heard from Karen Fletcher and Stara Stilianis from Flat Out Inc. for Outside Voices, a free online event happening tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. We then heard from Lucy Honan, who is a high school humanities and English teacher, and they joined us to discuss the call for improvements in the working standards for teachers um, and the rank-and-file educators group message. And finally, we heard that interview with Claudia, former employee at Honey Burdette, and Felicity Sauerbots from the Young Workers Centre spoke with us about that campaign to end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette. And once again, there are two petitions running to end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette, and you can find them at megaphone.org.au, looking up end sexual harassment at Honey Burdette. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for joining us on Thursday Morning Breakfast. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.